Hey guys, and welcome to your Mango Masala Pi Radio South Asian show. My name is Simran, and today I'm joined with Carlos and Halima. Hello. What's up, guys? Spoiler alert, guys, we've had a few technical difficulties just now, but we are back and better than ever. We are back and better than it's ever. It's really so characteristic for our show, like even when we're not on in the studio, just technical difficulties. Yeah, I know. So a mango, it's not a mango masala episode if it doesn't start with technical difficulties. I was nervous about my new Wi-Fi and I was going to be the one with technical difficulties, but we so won't far, name. We'll, it was me this time. Sorry, everyone. Sorry, everyone. It was me. Anyways, how is everyone? No, stop. Um, stop tired. Hungry. Anyway, <laughs> how is everyone? Oh, okay. You're, oh, okay. Sorry, yeah, Simran. Oh, you're yeah. Tired. Oh, yeah, Simran. Simran. <laughs> uh, tired and hungry. How are you? Carlos? Oh, thank you. Guess. Thank you for letting me speak. Um, yeah, same as Halima, except I'm not that hungry. Oh, what have you eaten today? Uh, cheese and tomato toasties. Dang. Ooh, I, I quite fancy one of them. It's nice. Well, guys, I'm reporting to you from my new room. In Live Nottingham. Mm. Yeah. Where are I you went, staying, Simon? Is it like student or calm? I'm in halls, and it's so weird. I'm in halls for the first time since 2018. Um, and I like it, you know. It's very like this whole space is my own, and I'm just like chill. Like, yeah, I'm a plant mum. Mm. you know Charlie it's definitely giving me like mature vibes this time around like it doesn't feel like I'm a little fresher and I just want to go out and like my room then was very immature compared to how it is now there's a plant for god's sakes um (laughs) you know like vibes and then yesterday all the freshers I could hear them all like having a good time and I was like damn like I didn't even I didn't even feel like I wanted to yeah Manchester is heaving with freshers yeah so Liverpool yeah here is a lot quieter i think it's not it's not it's not the north listen guys my heart's with you yeah (laughs) it's not they ain't they ain't doing it how you do it it's not the same but i've seen like um liverpool like it's crazy this week is like literally going mad Mm. i suppose it's the first freshers that they've been able to do properly for a while isn't it yeah Mm. that's what i feel like i feel like I, I still feel like a second year because I feel like my second year got taken off me. But then I have to remind myself that not only am I 21, I'm a postgrad student and I'm expired. Expired? Expired. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, you're not through. Yo, I was saying this to mom. I feel so expired these days. Like, I just, I just, I want to go back to being like the youngest person. But now I'm like not. Now I'm super old. And if I speak to someone, they're going to be like, I was born in 2003. And I'm going to be like, I was born in 1996. Yeah. Isn't it? Listen, guys. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, dearie me. But, but uni, uni is like such a youth-oriented environment, you know? Like, I feel like the first is now like little kids. I found this, like, when I came back... Because I did like a year out between my second and third year. And when mm. I came back and was in final year, I saw the freshers. And you could you can tell who's a fresher and who's not by the way that oh my they're God, like yeah. walking around. Even in the day well, today, I, took I, was... a, I took a gap year. Mm. Mm. 
I took a gap year and I'm a September baby. So I was 20 when I started, like I just turned 20 when I started uni. Um, oh, yeah. And obviously like everyone, like all the freshers, they were like, some of them had only just turned 18. And it was, it was crazy. Like you can really tell, because I feel like those years mm. are really formative, like 18, 19, 20, 21. Oh, yeah. like, they're so formative and you change almost like exponentially from year to year. So even though it's like, oh, yeah. you know, 18 and 20, like the difference was mental. Like you can really tell like the people that had just come straight from like sixth form, you know? When I was, when I was leaving home, I was like giving my mum a hug and I was like, so you don't feel like crying at all, right? I was like, He's tr- like your little baby going to uni. She was like, so this is the fourth time you've done it, you're an adult now just go I was like <laughs> all right <laughs> that was later <laughs> oh no. yeah no, but you know like there's level. I think but there is there is there are like postgraduate kind of there's a post because obviously you're not undergrad anymore like there there is still like a postgrad culture at uni as well you know like that is a bit more like mature and grown up so yeah that's the I, that's where you need to find yourself it was dawning on me that like a lot of like the beginning of the year stuff is very aimed at freshers like you know the first years that are starting so it's very like freshers welcome week there's not a lot of like post-grad welcome week mm. which I didn't expect mm. but I think going to a new uni I did want more like welcoming because it was a bit like yeah they kind of assume because you're older and you're post-grad you know what to do like figure it out but I'm like I don't know where I'm going I don't know what to do here like in my head mm. I'm still 16 like yeah but it's fine mm. I'm, I'm slowly figuring things out <laughs> that's life yeah, no but they, they do jams. baby you. They do baby you in first year compared to this. I think. Mm. Yeah, one hundred. But mm. well, getting on to the main point of today, which is why I'm gonna probably shut up for the most of this episode, <laughs> handing over to you guys. What are we talking about um, today? Today we're going to be covering a lot of topics that kind of encapsulate the theme of women's rights in general um kind of taking a global stance and looking at different things that have occurred across the world and also things that are to do directly with the last year we've had with the pandemic um and basically talking about not only a recent news story that has happened in England but also just some other stuff from around the world mm-hmm. well without any further hesitation I'm gonna let you guys go for it originally right. I, originally I was thinking oh yeah I'm just gonna let them go for it but then Simran was like nah like you know no. what you should be there like and I, you know what, I will I'll, I'll hold my tongue I'll bite my tongue um because there's not much need for me to put my input but whenever you no, guys it's, it's want interesting to. I think it's helpful for you it's it's from the perspective of like male accountability you know mm. mm-hmm. but also like we come back to the point a lot on the show that like policy making decision making and law making is all from like a male and normally a white male perspective and that's what we bash on a lot but it's never like a bad thing to get your perspective in terms of like just your opinion doesn't mean that it's invalidated just because that you're not you don't identify as a female it means that like it just it's more than welcome here obviously I still still want you to speak and not just sit back and listen um and you you know we we know you're not going to say anything heinous (laughs) so we're good Feel like doing it just for the sake of it now, just to see the look on Halima's face. No, like, oh, well, just I, know, so I know, I can see the background. I, I know you're, I know you're in the studio right now. <laughs> yeah, forget picking up your sister. You'll come straight here and like, yeah, I will. <laughs> but yeah, go for it. Um, I don't know too much about the story, so if someone wants to introduce the recent news topic that's happened. Yeah, and then we'll discuss uh, further. 
I, I haven't read too much into it either as well like I find you um um I don't really read too much about trauma to be honest I don't know if I've ever spoken about this on the show before but like things that are like particularly harrowing I really don't read details about them um and obviously this girl like she's a young Bangladeshi girl as well like um, are you okay as far as I'm aware, to speak about it yeah yeah of course of course of course I'm just saying that I personally just don't read too much into like details um just like I know it's a bit selfish but like self-preservation thing like I, I'm just I've always been like that I can't I can't handle like really traumatic things mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys I don't, I don't know if you guys can relate but I actually can't handle like things like even like really sad movies and stuff like that even though it's fictional I can't watch mm-hmm. no I, I know really I think we'll, we'll definitely speak about that in depth in like a different episode I think but like choosing yeah. what to consume in terms of positive versus negative like media and information has a massive yeah. long-term effect on your mental health and the and the change is so subtle you don't even notice it yeah 100 mm. 100 but, but um with regards to this this news um story like as far as I'm aware it's a young um like uh British Bangladeshi uh school teacher um that was found like dead she, she'd been mur- she's been murdered you know basically mm. yeah she was i think it happened on friday evening and they found yeah. her body almost 25 hours later on the saturday in this busy park in, in greenwich i think um they found so, it in yeah. the park yeah it was in a park yeah so that's nuts like, yeah that's nuts and I think one thing that's kind of weird is that it's not really made the news that much. And I know that because just now I knew that we wanted to kind of speak on this, but I've searched like the key terms into Google and only one story has actually come up and it's my, it's a London based website. So why is that? Not, yeah. Why is that not great, like nationwide news? Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. So this is, I mean, oh, there's a lot. It's a lot to say. Like in the first instance, like it's it, the, the fact that you said it was in a busy park kind of like threw me a little bit because it's mm-hmm. like when as women we're kind of taught like stay in busy places, stay in open places, like you know, as though that is supposed to be some kind of some form of like protection. So the fact that like this is happening like a busy park, busy park in London, um, it, there's actually like there's there's no form of like uh regulation or no form of protection really that women can take you know you can follow all the right rules and you can take Mm -hmm. all the right steps but it's like male violence really knows no bounds it really knows no bounds and now if we're talking about the reporting of the story and the coverage of the story and the lack thereof um Mm -hmm. and I don't mean to do this I don't mean to what I'm about to say like I'm saying very tentatively because I don't mean to compare tragedies like all tragedies are a tragedy but we also understand the way that um you know people in this country are racialized and how that then affects the way that they are treated even in death right and I'm thinking about another prominent case of a woman that was murdered earlier this year which was Sarah Everard right Mm -hmm. and we look at the we look at the um the fallout of of what happened then and everyone was very rightly infuriated infuriated and there were protests up and down the country um and now Carlos has just said that he could find only one local yeah. news report about it. I would like to say just um, when I search her name, then stuff comes up. But I basically searched Bangladeshi woman killed Park. 
London yeah. and Aden. And yeah. it's also worth noting, guys, that when you're listening to this, we're filming this earlier in the week, so it might be that coverage has come out. More, at, yeah, more yeah. coverage come out, yeah. But at the same time, like you're saying... But at the same time, like, yeah. this is not the first time, uh, you know, um, a woman of colour ha- has been killed and, and the... Um, the, the response has not been the same because around the same time the Sarah Everard case was going on, there was also two black women that were killed in in a mm. in a park as well. I don't know if you guys remember that story, um, and that story was definitely not as well known, and it did not co- it, it did not spark nationwide protests in the same way. Um, Even the police were taking photos with it. Yeah, mm-hmm. the police were taking photos of their dead bodies. Yeah. yeah. Um. So even the way that like you know deaths are kind of like framed and the coverage that they're given is I mean to, to say it plainly is racialized you know it is racialized it's because you know this the society deems a certain type of person a certain body more um like valuable or more worthy of uh, grievance than others Um, which is yet another kind of, you know, when I talk about like feminism, when I talk about like gendered violence, you can't talk about it without also talking about like the intersect of race because women of color Mm -hmm. face kind of gendered violence and then they they face racial violence as well. Um, Yeah. And I was gonna say also, if we look at like a lot of cases that happen, it's like in the UK, um, things hmm. to do with honor-based violence against like young women of color, especially in South Asian uh, communities and families. Killings of like young girls and women due to honor because of different reasons within the family um, is prevalent in the UK. And it's a really big issue um, that hmm. affects so many South Asian families. And it's the cause of like the needless cause of so many young girls. And it's just not ever spoken about. And when it is, it's always, um, spoken about from a villainizing, um, like yeah, yeah. Oh, God, I've forgotten uh-huh, the word uh-huh. I'm looking for. Like yeah, like they try and villainize it, the it, yeah. South Asian community there and villainize the the reasons like for why these occur, which obviously are awful, horrific reasons. But they mm. they end up becoming racial based attacks on Asian yeah. families because yeah. it kind of starts hitting the culture and the reasons why this yeah. happening. Which I'm not saying are, aren't wrong; they definitely are. Yeah. But it ends up becoming they yeah. they they continue to enforce the narrative that it's very us and them and you know us being the English yeah. people and white people and then them yeah. being other people of color. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we I think we touched on this, Carlos and I, when we did the episode about Afghanistan, um, and I was speaking generally about this kind of um, how, uh, people at the time were using the the the, uh, the case of Afghanistan to basically you know justify and peddle islamophobia um because mm-hmm. you know they were saying like oh afghan men are this and the other we shouldn't let them into the country blah 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 mm-hmm. we need to save afghan women from afghan men which is a rhetoric that um i'm gonna get into like my academic bag now so guy this is there's a, a theorist called uh guy spivak i don't know if you guys know she's like one of the foremost kind of thinkers on um, like post-colonial you know feminism and post-colonial theory in general and she wrote this paper called like this absolute seminal paper which is the bane of my life and my existence having worked on like post-colonial theory for my entire academic career so she wrote this paper called can the subaltern speak which is basically about can uh, the subaltern is like the um, the person in like the ro- lower rungs of like society right 
like marginalized people basically so do marginalized people have their own voices and she spoke a part of the, part of this essay she spoke about how like brown men oh sorry brown women are always perceived to be in need of being saved by by white men from brown men yeah. right um and I mean we see this this narrative and this rhetoric play out in so many different kind of like so many different mediums film you know television media real life politics news stories like news coverage um this idea that and, and it's very very pertinent with this whole issue of like honor killings because people don't see the violence for what it is they see it as you know oh my god this is um this is proof of how barbaric south asian cultures are uh-huh. you know this is proof of the fact that we need to go in and we need to rescue South Asian women from South Asian men. And also, I think it kind of enforces this viewpoint that, you know, we look at this case that happened to the young girl in London and it's like, because of the lack of coverage on it, it kind of shows that, like Halima said, that these cases deem these people to be less worthy of grievance and less worthy of being recognised as an actual victim. If you look at it within the perspective that Halima just said, it's like these women, these women of colour are only allowed to be real victims and recognised as such when they're being saved from the men within the same culture. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm about to get into my academic bag again. <laughs> there's this other, there's this other kind of like theory and, and like paper from um, a theorist called Judith Butler um and she wrote this paper called precarious lives so no she wrote this book called frames of war and then in it there's a chapter called precarious life grievous lives and she basically talks about um she was well, she, she, she contextualizes it within 9-11 and uh, the war on terror and she speaks about um what lives are framed as being grievable and in order for a life to be seen as grievable that life has to have value in the first place and then she talks about frames of recognition so these are basically like societal norms that assign um, value to lives based on metrics such as like race gender you know sexuality geopolitical kind of like positions that kind of thing um, and essentially it's the fact that like people in the West only assign value to a life that they re- that they resonate they resonate with. So white lives essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and non-white lives, particularly non-white lives in the you know global south, are not given, are not assigned value to in that same way. So when non-white lives are lost, they're not grieved in the same way, basically. And that would, I think, really adequately explain the backlash and just straight up rage that the Black Lives Matter movement received that even just saying that these the lives of these people just matter made people kick off around the world yeah they couldn't couldn't assign any kind of well more value to these lives than you know the value that they deserve but the value that they've been taught up brought up with their entire lives was that these lives were less deserving than their white ones so suddenly when this movement kicks off like you know demanding justice and demanding just the fact that their lives be recognized for their lived experiences as human beings yeah people are enraged so in the news right now is that in afghanistan i don't want to speak out of like turn here but i feel like the situation is starting to calm down unless that's just what we've been fed but they are beginning to reopen schools the problem is they're reopening them just for the boys and the reason I wanted to touch on mm. this is because I remember even learning about this in geography at school um, mm. that the literary li- the the gap in literacy between 
uh, males and females in Afghanistan is one of the largest in the world. And I did a quick mm. up- updated stats research on this and that it's low anyway. It's one of the lowest in the world. But for men, we're looking at 47% literacy, um, which already is incredibly low. But for women, yeah. 15% of women are literate in, in oh, Afghanistan. That's not. So then tying that into the fact that they're reopening the schools after all, all that's been going on, but only for male students. What do we think? <laughs> what can we think? What can we think? Oh my God. It's, it's just not. enforcing and it's widening the gap between men and women in that country. And it's just making sure that women are kept at the bottom of the rungs in their society, mm. which I don't want to... So like, for me... So we can't we can't speak about what's going on in Afghanistan and this this the disparity between men and women without talking about like political Islam, right? And um, because the, ta- the Taliban are they've come forward, they are you know posturing as a. Oh, sorry guys, I'm um I'm being called. Sorry, hello. Hi. Yeah. So oh, sorry, my phone was ringing and then it, it the screen switched. Um, as I was saying. Um, we can't talk about what's going on in Afghanistan without talking about, you know, like as I said, political Islam and um, with the Taliban posturing as an Islamic like entity. Um, for me personally, like I tread very, very cautious in these discussions because, as I said, like especially when these discussions are having had like being had in the West, it's always, always, always used as a justification for Islamophobia. It's always mm-hmm. used as proof that you know Islam is barbaric, Islam is this, that, that, blah, 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 blah. Um. So I want to say a disclaimer to anyone like listening into this conversation now. Like if you are not if you are not a Muslim, like this is not a conversation for you to like pass judgment or for like for you to listen to what I'm about to say and be like, oh my god, Islam is this, that, and the other. I'm speaking as a Muslim woman, um, and like from that positionality. And having made that disclaimer, I was about to swear then. It's not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Men are crazy. Like it's actually it's mental how like you know these 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 organize these entities have come forward and they've said that we are conducting ourselves in accordance to Sharia, which is Islamic law, and therefore women cannot go to school. It's actually mental when when wisdom the the um, the quest for wisdom is a divine commandment in Islam, and it's not a gendered divine commandment either. Like. make it make sense you know like make it make sense like islam has given rights to to women like long before the west had any rights by the way like long Mm -hmm. before rights were given in the west islam had given rights to women um islam had um you know like um women are allowed to like work women are allowed to be educated women are allowed to own property women are allowed to deal with their own finances like women have so many rights so for an entity to call like you know to like the taliban and you know not just the taliban but gen- generally like you know islamic government to come forward to come forward and like enforce you know set like blatantly misogynistic laws i want to know like where in islam that's rooted in like really i want to know where in islam it's rooted in because like the truth is it's not and and um you know and, and this is the part of the conversation where i think it opens up to like kind of to be more universal where I'm talking about you know normative um you know Islam so like you know religious like political religion and whatever else not the theological basis of what Islam is but like you know the the normative 
kind of manifestation of it and how these are inherently patriarchal structures and I think it's the same with like all religions I think all religions across the world just because of the way that they're socially enforced um are are patriarchal structures and that's and that's not because the religion itself is patriarchal it's because the people who then come to charge and then you know lead um follow patriarchal like apparatus that have been enforced in like every aspect of, of every life you know Carlos I'd like to know your thoughts on this as well <laughs> oh thank you for handing me the talking shoe or whatever it is um <laughs> yeah I think just to reiterate um Halima's point I think obviously as a non-Muslim I also like tread especially careful around these type of things because I'm not trying to it it's very hard I think it's very hard to publicly condemn what the Taliban are doing without um subconsciously egging on someone to kind of take that and then go along the line of oh yes yeah, see Islam is um oppressive islam is this islam yeah. is that but i think it's just important to like make that distinction like we're not talking about islam here we're talking about a perverted like a, a perverted interpretation of it i think it's just very easy when we're speaking on this platform though for people to misinterpret that and then yeah use, use yeah. that to fuel their own islamophobic mindset and then you know 100 make 100%. comments about it mm-hmm no definitely i would agree with that yeah but essentially what what essentially what's being said here is that oh. every, every system in the world is patriarchal See? <laughs> essentially what we're saying is that every system in the world is patriarchal like there's no there is no kind of like there's no there's no system in the world that's free of patriarchy and that's you know all religions mm-hmm. all normative religions sorry not the, not the you know theological religions but all normative religions you know like education politics like like schooling employment like everything everything um well i think we're looking at a country here that has an already existing gap in literacy that and that is already low as it is even the rate for men is, is a lot lower than i think the global average um and i think in that case like looking at it from this standpoint mm. to look at the size of the gap is got not has got nothing to do with religion or um just it's just politics and it's just the enforcement of patriarchal standards in every industry making it a very like um within the social infrastructure of the country the patriarchy is enforced at every level so we're looking yeah. at a situation here where from birth young girls aren't allowed access to school where in a country where it's already difficult mm. which just hardens this gap further so as the generations go you know this this can only get worse it's and worse compounded without... with every new generation exactly yeah. exactly um carlos you made a disclaimer but you didn't say anything <laughs> disclaimer yeah about not perpetuating um any islamophobic attitudes towards what you're about to say yeah no i think i was literally just making a point that i think that other people should maybe try and do the same like mm-hmm. i saw a lot of people in the wake of what happened in afghanistan like um, again this kind of idea of um, what's called social media activism where they're kind of sharing these images of like um, I think the main thing is sharing images of women walking around in um, the burqa and the full veil burqa as well mm. um, and 
the thing is that in itself using that as some kind of indication of how uh pressed they are yeah ex- exactly when ultimately uh-huh. um some muslim women do choose choose to do that because that's yeah. what they want to do so that in itself isn't wrong what is being yeah. what is wrong is having these patriarchal um values forced upon people that that's the wrong thing yeah, yeah. I want to like just going off what Carlos said I saw this like this tweet that went viral um recently in like some American store um it was like some clothes shop or something and um they're taking a, a photo of um they, they were basically like oh it, um it was it was like a at the front of the store and it was just like a railing of like long dresses like covered you know like long dresses long sleeves all that kind of stuff and someone was like oh my god I can't believe this and then they started comparing it to like hands made tail which um I don't know if either of you guys have watched mm. or like know what that is it's basically just like this it, it's a dystopia it's about it's yeah. a show about this dystopian future where women are sold into like reproductive slavery um basically just saying that oh my god like we're we're so backwards because why are all these dresses so long and um so uh covering and all this stuff and it's like the thing about western feminism is that it just completely misses a point like the point of feminism is that women should have the right to choose right and the thing with feminism is that they think that if you're if you if you are covered up despite choosing to be covered up it means that you are inherently um oppressed and they believe that um being exposed and wearing revealing clothes that is the mark of freedom I think being able to wear revealing clothes right it's the mark of freedom well yeah first of all they think that a woman's sexuality is through like the liberation of their body which is true up until a point for these people do you know what I mean like until it's too mm-hmm. much skin or if it's all the time then it's then it's suddenly a problem all over again on the, on the other side of the spectrum so yeah I think exactly the, the British mainstream media does a very good job of perpetuating like negative stereotypes against Islam using imagery such 100%. as the burqa and the hijab I read a very very interesting article uh last week I want to say but I thought I'd come back to it for this episode and it was how coronavirus it was titled how coronavirus is setting women's rights back decades and I was like that's a very interesting take because we look at it from the perspective of race I think a lot of the time especially in this country the disproportion like how how disproportionately it's affected BAME people and we've not really looked at the gender like aspect of things and to some in some aspects this article did open my eyes and it made me realize things that I didn't quite like realize before and it did like I I realized a few things so I'll spit off some facts um yeah I mean it started off a bit rough that people basically had like coronavirus was called the leveler in society which I thought was a ridiculous statement and the reason for this is because it didn't discriminate between rich and poor young and old um apparently not men and women and like you know black and white and stuff and I was like but it did but yeah, it yeah, 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 it literally and did. So I was kind of like, all right, it is what it is. I'm gonna plow on <laughs> with this. I kind of just like was whatever. Um, yeah, obviously not true because we know how much it affected disproportionately against the BAME individuals, poor people, older people, like pretty much every like you mm. know part of society mm. there is there was a disproportionate like, impact here. Um, the bit that I thought was kind of interesting was that the reason how this article frames that it affected women more is because women were 
overrepresented in the industries that were like that took a lot of furlough and redundancy packages and stuff like that so like travel tourism beauty non-essential retail um in childcare and stuff so that women bore the economic brunt of the pandemic apparently more than men did in some cases um and they said some stuff like um during the pandemic women were twice as likely to take time off without pay to provide childcare for their kids and um because 90% of single parents are women that it just shows that they had to take like a lot of the brunt of you know juggling uh schoolwork housework their own job the stress of the mm. pandemic and mm, stuff like that mm, mm, so mm. it did I think it did raise some good points in how when we take away you know age and race and disability and uh economic status that we can see that there is a slight gap more from the economic side between men and women but I wanted to like get your guys thoughts based off that I mean, first and foremost, my opinion is that like this is a conversation that needs to be had, but I feel like it's a conversation that needs to be had in earnestness, and I feel like this is maybe why, why, why issues aren't perhaps progressing as much is because of the veneer of like uh, progressiveness in this country. Like we've 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 spoken thus far about um, you know mostly things like in the global south because when we think about like patriarchy, we um you know the west more readily attributes it to the global south when actually like who are you pointing fingers at when in your in your own country like you know like this article has just detailed like patriarchy is still wreaking havoc you know so in the first instance i feel like that that admission needs to be made in order for this conversation to be had in earnestness um but then having said that I'm not surprised. Like, I'm not really surprised. Obviously, it's, 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 it's them ones, you know, like, disappointed but not surprised. Yeah. I definitely would have, like... Sorry, No, yeah, go on, Halima. Um, I, I I think I, I would have... I mean, I don't know what the stats are, like, exactly like, how, how big the gap is, but, um, like I said, like, patriarchy is a global apparatus, right? And it manifests in, like, kind of different contexts in different ways but like it's it's a it's a very universal thing patriarchy mm-hmm. is a very universal thing um and from when I remember like like this in this regard in terms of like the jobs and all that kind of stuff I never really thought about it like that but I always knew the effects that the that the pandemic was having particularly on women because I remember at the time they were talking about domestic violence okay trigger warning mm-hmm. about domestic violence I remember like domestic violence violence rates like going up like just 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 rocketing um with the onset of the pandemic which again is like in a country like you know like the the UK where people pretend it's so progressive and it's so liberal and 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 all these things and it's like like women are literally like there's there's another pan there's another endemic here Mm -hmm. of of domestic violence Mm. I think the thing as well is that we talk about the disproportionate effect of coronavirus on women compared to men. I think it's safe to say that if it was the other way around, maybe things would have been dealt with a lot differently. And the reason I say mm-hmm. that is that you literally have the example of with the AstraZeneca vaccine. They I was found just out, about yeah, that, yeah. With, the, with the clots, it was affecting. I was um, just about to say yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, it's not even necessarily. Oh, sorry, go on, Carla. No, I would say, oh, obviously, they took, they took, um, they made the appropriate action there 
when it there's more chance of women who are on the birth control pill actually getting a clot than there is of people who are getting vaccinated yeah 100 100 and i think that's what it is it's like that is what i think this pandemic has just exposed so many like societal ills right because it's not even necessarily like the covid illness itself that has shown Mm. the disparity in the way that women are treated and the way that men are treated it's kind of everything surrounding it yeah for example the the way lockdown has revealed the you know the extent of like domestic violence is a problem in the uk the way that um you know the 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 vaccine and the vaccine rollout has exposed like medical patriarchy um because carlos like i was literally just about to bring up that point about the astrazeneca like people were going crazy because now this is a um, vaccine that affects men as well as women you know, whereas something like the birth control pill, which only affects women, has a high, gives you know has a higher chance of like blood clots, but no one was checking for that. Okay. No one was checking for that. Um, so I think, yeah, there's a lot that this kind of like this global pandemic has has revealed in terms of how deeply rooted and like um, insidious patriarchy is. It's things that we just even even as women we just kind of take for granted in our everyday lives, you know. Mm-hmm. <sighs> sigh. I'm sorry. No, I, I need I'm, more. I need more than sigh from you. We're we're. I, you I would know. like to formally apologize for. <laughs> I've been the of all the men in the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's my pay, piece. Pay, pay his reparations. Pre- reparations. I'll give you my reparations when I get my half my reparations from yeah. the half of my past that colonized the other half of my past when i get them reparations then oh I'll, god what, yeah. what an interesting story one half yeah. your one ancestors of colonizing the other ancestors oh my god yeah sorry to i was kind of i was kind of centering myself i apologize for that okay guys welcome back to mango masala pie radio south asian show i'm now i'm simran again and i'm now joined here with guns carlos on his ones we've lost halima sadly um, we just the last, sorry babe <laughs> we're here we've just for the last segment of the show it's just us two and we're going to be speaking about a bit of a topical issue that's come up recently about a Punjabi artist called Simran Court Dudley um I want to quickly disclaim that her name is Simran and my name is Simran we're different it's not the same <laughs> name I don't claim her okay fair enough get that out there you know, this whole Simran thing, it goes on too far. Like everyone's called Simran. I get it. Like, no, she's different for bad reasons. Well, I don't claim her. In, anyway. our, in our opinion. Yeah. We don't want a defamation charge. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so she came out with a song. Well, she's actually, she's a pretty well-known Bajabi singer. She came out with a song called Lahu Diyavaz. And it's come under fire for basically promoting a misogynistic view of women. And... I agree, I do, um, and it's very pertinent in the context of you know South Asian and Punjabi attitudes towards women, their clothing, how they represent themselves, um, their outward representation of themselves, and how that is perceived within the South Asian community. Lyrics of her song include stuff like "I had a dream where women were covered in their jinnis." Those of you that don't know, jinnis are like a thin like veil like covering that usually go across the shoulders they can go on the head um that sort of kind of thing and they're usually they represent modesty um so she said in one of the lyrics is literally like I had a dream that women were wearing jinnis and they dare not look their brother or their father in the eye and I was just like 
yo, this what, is crazy. And she wants she wants that. That's like in her dreams, like like yeah. it came to her in a dream, and that was the ideal situation. And then there was basically her shaming. I nearly said the word there. Shaming women for not wearing clothes that in her opinion were not modest or that you know slightly revealing and um there's an element of it where she's victim blaming women for being the victims of uh gender-based crimes and gender-based violence which we all know is a massive issue not only in the uk but in countries like india where women get harassed if they're just on their own or walking alone at night are very very likely to get attacked um so you know to perpetuate a song to come out with a song that perpetuates these kind of viewpoints is very very damaging I think in this day and age where countries like India can be seen as very regressive in terms of women's rights and women's safety and attitudes towards women so I think what she's doing here is really playing with fire and I'm not surprised that the so she's received a lot of backlash but she's also received a fair amount of support and people basically saying I don't see what the problem is which I just think is very reflective of the Punjabi and South Asian community view towards women as it is mm-hmm. um you know um yeah that's pretty much why I have to say on it for the moment Carlos what do you think I think even if we are to step away from the whole um the problematic nature of what she's saying in terms of I mean, I suppose everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but it's more her case of saying, oh, it, it, her, she is shaming people for being a certain way rather than just saying, oh, I think people should act this way, but everyone can do what they want. Um, I think even if you look away from that, I think especially now that I've got the translation of what you said of that first mm-hmm. line about how it's, it's her dream, it's like, it's how she, her ideal is that. Tell me why, Simran, if you look at your um, Instagram, it's just you posing with a load of guns, which if we look at the traditional stereotypes, I don't think that's very ladylike. So I don't really get like, and I swear like she goes around wearing like non-traditional wear all the time, which is completely fine. Like she- Yeah, we're not bashing that Yeah, exactly. You're allowed to do what you want to do. Like, I mean, I'm not that keen on the guns, but like, if that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. But- how are you going to be out, go out here saying like, oh, women are doing this, doing that, they shouldn't be doing this when you're part of, and this is the thing I was saying to Simran, when I came across this artist the first time, I was so like kind of happy to see her. Yeah. Um, she's this female Punjabi like artist. Um, she's plus size as well. So mm-hmm. she's like, she's out here and she's doing really well. Like this is great. But, and I'm, I'm celebrating like, what makes her her yeah and for her to come out make this blanket statement that oh women need to like this women need to like this and she she has this she keeps on referring to what what she calls this fake feminism and I don't know I'd I'd be very interested like so what is her definition of feminism Mm -hmm. if it's not like we were saying before that women should just be able to do whatever they want to do that that's the important Uh thing rather than saying women need to be this or that like I don't know. I'm not being funny. It screams pick me. Like pictures mm. of the guns. I'm like, I know she's like tried to, like she's um, been in conversations with like Sidhu Musiala and stuff. And like, I don't know, it just really screams pick me. Like, and then now bashing women. It just kind of seems like, whose attention are you doing this for, Miss Girl? Like, mm. come on, you know let's, let's get some perspective here. And like, she speaks about this fake feminism thing. But what she's really doing is shining a light on herself because 
But what feminism should be, like you said, is women having the right to exercise choice and exercise freedom and their rights. But what her feminism does is lack intersectionality and it's yeah. bashing other women for, you know, being doing what they want. They're doing what they want, which is the embodiment of feminism in itself. So if you yeah. my opinion. <sighs> Yeah, in our opinion. I think that's the thing as well. It's kind of disappointing to see artists like Sudan Musiala like doing what like he's like he's actually come out and actually like set, said mm. that he like oh he thinks it's a nice song or whatever. And I'm just yeah. they're like, oh, you make really nice music, but I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> like, yeah. No, the, I don't know though. I, I don't know. The thing is though, we were saying, I think as of this is this is a like I said, this is midweek when we're speaking on this. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, her Instagram has been taken down, which yeah, I'm slightly, yeah, I'm slightly confused about that. So, yeah, so if you guys don't know, since the song has been released and the backlash has come out against it, um, her Instagram has now been taken down, which, well, first of all, actually, it, it like doubled or tripled in following first, I think, which is another whole like topic. Um, but yeah, so since then it's been taken down, which I think is kind of wild because like me and Carlos are talking about, people have had their Instagrams kept up for way worse. Mm. Like people have not have been threatened with, um, you know, a social media takedown and they've committed way worse than Donald Trump, for example. The first one that screamed to my mind, I don't know why, it was so random, but Tory Lanez after shooting Megan Thee Stallion. Mm. Like <laughs> he literally shot someone. I think like... Katie Hopkins probably was able to yeah. have her Instagram for a while. And I think it's very interesting because there's this, the, it comes with the whole idea of like where Instagram's priorities lie mm-hmm. as well. When we think about how quick they are to stick a stamp on anything that's related to COVID, what they can't, yeah. well, they can't do that for when it's people using racial slurs or mm-hmm they um, um, are so quick to remove photos that even remotely look like they've got um, the female um, areola in it. Like the moment that that's there, it's like, like how, how are they actually, like where, mm-hmm. where, where are your priorities at this point? And it just beg to think like, is it because to the people of Instagram, they see her as not necessarily being um, worthy of, keeping on there because she to them she is this artist from a foreign country that they don't mm-hmm. really know about I don't think she has a blue tick or anything so yeah, yeah. So it's, it's very like random at this point I think the only way like you said she doesn't have a blue tick the only way I could see Instagram if they had to make a statement though I doubt they will is say that it maybe it's an automatic thing like when your account gets a certain number of reports and flags that maybe oh, it automatically yeah. gets taken down. That might be the case. But then I, I'm pretty sure, like, by the time this has been recorded or at least put out on air, that it should be back up then because she, then her team would have been all over it. Let me just see if there's anything on Instagram. I doubt it, though. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, like, my whole thing was basically that people's Instagrams get kept up for a lot worse. And I think it's, I think it'd be very easily easy to not only racialize this conversation but also like put it in the perspective of uh, male versus female in that these like male politicians get to spew their nonsense these male rappers get to perpetuate um very like sexist and misogynistic views on their songs and very like out in the open and they get to say what they want you know let's talk about rap for a minute mm-hmm. and how misogynistic some of those lyrics are yep and no one bats neither but then i suppose that is within the 
realm of western society so it's less it's very accepted i mean that's that's a separate conversation itself, yeah I think. but i think even within western society um stuff that megan the stallion says mm-hmm. will get a lot more critique oh yeah stuff that um male represent and also i think also in regards to lil nas x i think a lot of um, people will kind of because the thing is like let's let's be honest what he's doing is very much like it it, it it is like clout chasing in a sense he is very much doing stuff so that it gains like views mm. and that and like he knows he, like clickbait he, he, yeah click, on a really know, big scale yeah he knows he can be outrageous but then also he's doing what he's doing because he's being like giving the middle finger to mm-hmm. home of homophobic people or racist people and what i don't get is people that have a problem with what he's doing because if you're just annoyed because he's just being a bit too much just don't watch it you know what i mean don't engage with it if it gets to the point where you're like oh this is silly like this is like why is he doing this like that then you're actually picking a problem with the content which Mm -hmm. maybe would have more standing if you were doing the same to literally every other rap video where they've got um half naked women or fully naked women mm-hmm. like parading around which is fine if they want to do that but then if oh, you're yeah. gonna if you're gonna call out certain um similar levels of nudity or sexual activity or whatever you've got to maintain you've got to keep that and I think that's the problem that people aren't keeping that same level and it's kind of exposing their own implicit or yeah. ex- or or explicit um discriminatory um biases so yeah very well said you're welcome but yeah (laughs) i think it definitely puts a spotlight on the different like magnifying glass that gay men in the case of little nas x you know clout chasing aside are looked under but especially that women Mm. are looked under that we can't you know megan salian can't do what she does without a boatload of criticism um whereas you know future can rap about what future raps about and it's like, oh, the Bible of misogyny. People say that. That's a, that's a, that's a saying. You've probably seen that before, right? Bible of misogyny. People will put like a future quote that's really misogynistic and it'll be like future um, 1832, the Bible of misogyny. Oh, dear. <laughs> like, it, it, it's ridiculous. Uh, well, that's another com- conversation. Yeah. I mean, going back to this story that we're talking about now the thing is i can't see anything actually coming of it because mm-hmm. i think it is just going to blow over eventually like, i think it will blow over she'll get her instagram back and she'll probably learn never to do that before and to be honest with you her following has grown massively so she's going to reap those benefits yeah no i think she'll do it again i i, I don't think i think I mean, from a PR slash marketing point of view, it would be really silly of her. Not necessarily. Especially if she wants wants to try and make it big over here and stuff, because you will get more of the opposing attitude here. Mm, No, but not necessarily. No, I don't think she cares about that. Like, I'm talking like I know I don't know her. But, like, (laughs) I feel like the the support that she's got is the support that she cares about. And when Mm. you've got artists like Sidhu back in you, like you know what I mean like you don't I hear that like you might have a load of at the end of the day 
sometimes I think it's like all publicity is good publicity or something like yeah. that. Like, and it's no, it's, no, uh, no publicity is bad publicity. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I feel like she will continue doing what she's doing because at the end of the day, that's her beliefs and that's her values. So. And I don't know. Which is this disappointing, is the... but like like you said, she had the potential to be very groundbreaking as a Punjabi artist who's backed by big names like Sidi Musiala and also as a plus size woman. She had the opportunity to bring some really good representation, positive representation into the community and into the male music, male, very male-dominated music scene in, in Punjabi culture. She yeah, could have definitely. been very groundbreaking. The potential was definitely there. So it's disappointing to see the route that she's taken with this. But I suppose it just kind of shows the like the extent to which these views are so deep rooted in, in, in Punjabi culture yeah I want Jasmine Sunless to do like a diss track back at her oh yeah oh my god that would be sick <laughs> but that would be the first rap beef I ever get interested in I'm not gonna yeah, yeah. Defos. because I feel like she's a lot more like I'll do what I want I'll dye my hair she's wholesome yeah I like her yeah but that's all my um Punjabi female standing is going towards yeah <laughs> we can't I was considering splitting it but now with, with Jasmine Sandler's all the way uh but yeah I think it seems like a good place to round off so do you want okay. to do close so, closing as well Simran thank you guys for listening this has been another episode of Mango Masala Pi Radio South Asian show this has been Simran joined with Guns yeah been here and Coming up next is an interview with Shaz, an up-and-coming artist from West London. And we're going to speak a little bit about her new single coming up. I am joined today by Shaz. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm all right. Um, just to double-check, it's Shaz, right? It's not Shaz or anything like that. <laughs> no, it's Shaz. You've got it right. Sweet. So... Do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself, like how you got into music, that sort of thing? Yeah, um, well, my name is Shaz uh, and I am a singer, songwriter, musician. Um, I'm from just outside West London. And yeah, I, in terms of getting into music, I, I've been, music has been a part of my life since, ever since I can remember. I play the piano and guitar and ukulele as well. So it's um, I've been learning since I was probably about six, seven years old with the piano. And um, I became, I actually became a qualified professional pianist, I think when I was 16, and then taught myself to play guitar as well. So it just, I've always been super into music and I've been writing songs as well since I was a kid. So um, it's always been the passion, like the way to go. So I just thought it was time now that I should share it and actually put it out for people to hear. Cool. So I didn't know anything about the whole pianist route. So what was it that made you decide, oh, I want to do more singing rather than going down the piano side of things? Um, well, like I said, the singing's always been there as well. Like even as a kid, I would just like be singing around the house, put on performances for my parents and stuff. So it kind of went hand in hand. They're obviously very complementary skills. So it was just kind of natural that with the piano and the musical fan musical theory foundation that I had, um, it was uh, it was very easy to like write melodies and compose music and then I also have a very I really like I have a love for writing I've, I've been writing songs since I was six seven I mean I'm sure you can imagine they weren't the most top quality at seven years old but you know it, it's been there so yeah it all it just fell together and it was it was great sure so would you say that 
obviously you've been writing songs since you were like six, seven, um, been doing music for time. Would you say that it's always been like, that's what I'm going to do? Like I'll finish school or whatever, and then I'm going to become a singer. I'm going to become a musician. Yeah, I mean, yeah, even as a kid, that was the dream. And all I wanted to do was just sing and perform for people and share music. Um, it's always been the vision. It's just kind of, I I think everything just fell into place at the right time recently in terms of the songs I've decided to now release and actually go full steam ahead with this direction. Um, just happened to, you know, find the right song that I thought, yes, like this, this should be my first single and stuff. And um, yeah, it was just the right timing for everything. Sure. So speaking about your music, having listened to I think three of your tracks now, so two of your own singles and one which you're featured on. Um, I'm getting a yeah. very similar sort of laid back, but at the same time, like, I want, I want to say too chill, because when you think chill, it's like just like, it's very much like almost jazzy, but you're very much R&B. Yeah. So yeah. who would you say that you look up to in terms of in the music industry, whether they're dead or alive, just anyone? Yeah, I mean, you're right with the R&B vibe. It's definitely there. Um, it's kind of mainly the music I listen to anyway, so it's it's natural that that's also what I would produce a lot. Um, in terms of singing, I really look up to Janae Aiko, Summer Walker, Ariana Grande is like my idol, and uh, Beyonce, you know, so the R&B influences are there. And even for songwriting as well, Janae Summer and Frank Ocean is another one. Um, the way they can just like portray images and stories and in, in songs is super inspiring. And then aside from that, um, musically, I really look up to Frank, who I mentioned, uh, Childish Gambino, Kendrick Lamar. And, you know, you may not necessarily jump to those people if you, if you heard my music, but the inspiration is definitely still there just in terms of what they do with it you know they want to create new sounds and they have such intricate ele elements but they're so simple at the same time mm. um and then yeah it's just that's just something I really want to incorporate in my music and create like a whole soundscape um there's other musicians as well who are just killing the game Jacob Collier he's like a music guru oh, yeah. um Herbie Hancock is a bit of an older one but an iconic jazz musician and these are people who just they just really know music you know and like I love to just like geek out on the musical theory and see all the cool things that they do with their sounds so listening to stuff like that as well really pushes me to focus on the musical foundations of my songs as well and just to make sure everything is um musically there so all so many musicians yeah no it definitely makes a lot of sense the musicians that you've mentioned um I'm curious as well obviously within those top musicians that you've mentioned not necessarily a any um Asian artists which might be a comment to be made about the maybe current lack or previous lack of Asian artists in that sort of R&B field but I wanted yeah. to ask how have you personally found it obviously you've been doing music for a while but it's only just recently that you've actually started going full steam ahead with these singles how has it been yeah. as a South Asian musician navigating this R&B field which traditionally you wouldn't necessarily see that many South Asians doing it yeah no that's true uh, as you said it's it's only been in the industry for about a few weeks so you know based on my limited experience no I, I I have found it it's mostly been good and there's there's pros and cons I find that within the South Asian community 
it's it's actually really great and you're like celebrated almost and it's so nice to see people be so supportive and helping people within the community um and i think it's needed you know in the older generation it may not be like the mainstream career choice um in this community but i think that's changing and a lot of more people are stepping out and becoming comfortable with their passions which is great to see um and in terms of as an artist in the industry and, and in the rest of the world you, you you kind of get the people who who know about being inclusive and diversity and they're really doing their part to push the minorities out and celebrate all we have to offer because we have so much to offer um and, and that's really great to see that people like that are increasing in number and luckily so far in my experience i've mostly met people like that so it's been great but you know you that you always get there, there is an underlying unspoken barrier, I feel, between South Asian artists and the mainstream and being able to break through to the mainstream. You know, and I think that, and I hope this barrier is slowly being broken down and people are only getting more and more open to viewing our communities as mainstream or what, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, especially as, as we continue to see like other South Asian artists that are smashing the game, like Nav's done it, you know, Ravina, there's an amazing R&B singer called Prit. Um, she's mm. from London. Um, so I, I think, you know, we can only go up right now. And there's like a certain shift happening in the Western cultural climate right now, I think. And we really have to make use of it. So things are looking up, I think. No, for sure. And it's nice to see you mention, obviously, these artists, which like have been there for time and not necessarily, it's just, it's almost sad that there's still that maybe bit of resistance just in terms of the general population's part to actually yeah. even consider. And even if they are incorporated into the mainstream, people are seeing it as, oh yeah, they're the South Asian singer rather than they're just, yes. they're an R&B artist. You know what I mean? So. Exactly. You've hit it right on the nose. And I think people even try to, like marketing people or PR people, even try to build on like the selling point is the fact that they are South Asian, you know, listen to our, mm. as if they're filling out a diversity quota, you know what I mean? Rather than just, mm. if there's genuinely the influence of, yes, this is a South Asian influence, 100%, this should be promoted and it should be highlighted, but it shouldn't be used as like a, you know, tick in the box. Like, yes, we've pushed out a minority artist. So I think that's yeah. what we should keep pushing towards. Yes, yeah, fine line between positive discrimination and just doing things for the sake of it. Like, you'd, yeah. like ultimately, South Asian people don't want to be hired just because they're brown. Like, they should be for their actual talent exactly. or their actual skills, etc. Exactly. So, yeah. For sure. So getting back to your um, music, obviously, when this goes out, your most recent single, um, Out of Your Mind, will be yes. out um and that will be available to stream so everyone listening make sure you go and give a listen to that but we're also going to be playing it just after this but yeah do you want to just tell us a bit about that track how it came about what it's meant to mean all that type of stuff yeah um out of your mind this song i wrote the song for a friend actually from their perspective uh you know as an outlet for what they were going through and i saw them go through firsthand and it's kind of about those sometimes toxic situationships, relationships that are too common these days. And just all the emotions involved in that, there's so much to unpack. There's a lot of like passion and love and anger and all the feels. And, you know, these situations where I think 
a lot of the time it mostly happens to the girls a lot and they're made out to be kind of these psycho girls but you know what most of the time you see a girl like that and you think oh she's crazy but you, if you take a look at her man more often than not you'll see the real crazy business that's going on and how they make the other partner become you know crazy like that so I this whole topic I think is very relevant right now it happens so much and I really think and hope a lot of people will be able to relate to this one and will kind of not hope because it's kind of like you know I'm sorry that you can if you can relate but it's it's here for you it's yeah it's situationships man yeah I mean if I go my girlfriends will listen to this I don't know I don't know what you mean about that <laughs> but um but yeah I totally get in terms of like obviously mainstream media obviously we've got stuff like Love Island and it's a like tinder um epidemic in itself and it's very much like this yeah. things are so much more casual now and so much more potential yeah. for people to get hurt or feelings get involved so where, there's yeah. too many options out there these days now it's because there's social media and everything it's a whole new world and it's like you could be you could be in London thinking, oh, there's a better girl out there in America that I could get with. I can DM her, shoot my shot. You know what I mean? Like people weren't, mm-hmm. they, they didn't have these options before. So I think it just creates that mindset of like, there's always something better. And that makes people treat any option kind of just as, oh, I could do better, I could do better. Yeah. And so I, it's interesting. I mean, it's it's the way our world's headed into in the modern, modern like society. So it's, you know, times are changing, the dating game's changing, but you just kind of have to give people the respect they deserve I think <laughs> yeah and that's why we write songs about it it's like relatable in it yeah. so so obviously this track um like the last one that you're featured on you've worked with um casing so I'm not sure I've only I you know what it is as well I only ever see artists like actually written down like on Instagram <laughs> and stuff like that so I never actually know yeah. like how to pronounce it but I think it's casing right it is casing don't worry you've got it right sweet so how has it been obviously working with him for a second time and how did you guys actually meet because I saw that he's based in Derby so how did that link up happen yeah well casing he's um a dear friend of mine actually we met at university through just mutual friends so we kind of met as friends first um but yeah he's he's such a talented producer and he has this really great musical sense in himself uh I recommend everyone to go listen to his stuff and his mixes and they'll see they'll understand um uh and you know when we're making music we we kind of um we started just jamming together like at uni we just thought okay like let's just you know meet up see what ideas we have and whatever and um it kind of just spiraled from there and now like when we're making songs it's just so easy and like so many times I'll think of something like oh we should do this to the beat here and next thing you know before I've even said it he's automatically done that exact thing himself so it's great to kind of be on that same wavelength with someone and have that comfort when you're making music especially and I think that is actually makes that makes songs sound much better when there is that comfort and ease there and yeah it's been great having someone like a friend to work with and there's truly like no formalities I can like say whatever I feel to him so I think it's a great partnership and we make uh, good music together (laughs) yeah I I would totally agree and I think it's nice as well um having only listened actually to the um two tracks like um out of your mind and need a little um he's definitely got that like signature sound like that kind of guitar type thing and it's like nice because it's like 
a signature feel but then it doesn't feel like it's exactly the same you know what I mean yeah yeah you're right yeah he always manages to make it kind of something new but you can still tell it's that casing influence it's amazing I actually wanted to speak a bit about your um debut single as well um Mm -hmm. only one so and obviously that's actually how um I or we came to know of you so and I did really like that um the whole vibe like just everything about it so I wanted to know like how did that song come about as well and what made you want to choose that as your first single like what you were going to be like represented as to all these new people yeah only one I wrote last year actually um during lockdown and that came about when I I heard some music um some kind of instrumental and uh I immediately heard like this melody in my head and uh this is kind of my creative process with most songs when I write songs um it always comes with a melody first so uh literally immediately I had it in my head and I quickly like put some words down to it and it took me like 10 minutes and only one was born so it was it was a very like instinctive natural process of making this song and I sent it to casing straight away and he was like yeah let's get this going and we made it I think maybe within a day or two like it was very very quick um and I I knew it was I knew I had something here because I think it just it has a lot of elements that were right in terms of releasing it as a single and especially my debut single um it it has that you know that catchy chorus and I thought this will be good to kind of oh you know I'm trying to be stuck in people's heads and stuff so I thought that would be a very good element and it just has the right vibe of like chill music it was the right message to send for for the first message because um you know this this is the kind of chill music that I, I want to make and a lot of my other songs have that similar vibe so it was just very obvious and I I also think the lyrics of the song and the like the content of it is kind of sentimental kind of you know emotional and stuff as well and I also like I just thought that was a very good that that's something that would resonate with a lot of people as well and touch them hopefully so it was a lot of elements that kind of just had the recipe for a very good single so that's why I wanted to go with that one sure yeah and I think it's really nice as well. I, I didn't know that that was, yeah, again, with casing. So it's nice you've done, like, all this work together. Yeah. Um, as well, I think what drew me towards it as well, obviously the melodies were nice, but also, like, your voice as well. It is very calming in that sense. Like, it is, like, very, it's very well suited to that oh. sort of music, which is why I'm glad that you're not necessarily... Um, like thinking oh I need to go down this path like so that I fit in with exactly where everything's at at the moment but you're yeah. like sticking to what's yeah. best for you which obviously doesn't mean that you can't venture out and do um yeah, different stuff in the future but like yeah it is really nice I just wanted to say like yeah like oh, I'm thank impressed. you <laughs> thank you yeah, no that was the vision yeah cool so Coming to the end of the interview now, do you want to just tell me a bit about what you've got planned for the future? Yeah, I, well, I may have another single or two coming after this very soon in the future. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. But um, yeah, uh, I, I'm mainly working on my debut EP right now, which I'm hoping to drop soon after. 
um, and my EP is called The Car Ride Home and it's a collection of about five songs with an interlude, intro and outro as well. It's kind of like a concept album. So the whole vibe is, the idea behind all the songs is, I just think they all perfectly match that late night drive vibe. Um, or just, you know, when you're in the car driving and you're blasting your tunes and you're vibing to them, that's like one of my favorite things to do. And I literally think that these, these match that vibe like to a T. So I, I hope people will do that with this album or EP. Um, and the whole project's duration as well should probably last you good for like a 20 minute drive somewhere. So it's, it's yeah, it's the chill vibes, R&B vibes. Um, lyrically and content wise as well, um, the car ride home, I guess, can have two meanings because it's kind of about, you know, maybe like a breakup songs or whatever, like a relationship ending and then towards the interlude, towards the middle of the EP, you kind of see songs that express the emotion of when you you either go back or want to go back and you know I think everyone grapples with this cycle of like a, of a relationship at some point in their life so um you will see that and then towards the end of the EP the songs circle back to you know your realizations that maybe I should move on from this and this wasn't good for me and accepting coming to terms with those things so it's kind of like a journey home if that makes sense as well um within yourself so it's it's double meanings there's a, there's a lot to probably unpack but yeah it's very exciting and I'm very excited for people to hear it yeah no definitely I'm really excited to hear that as well because I would definitely agree that music of yours that I've heard so far is definitely what you want like I know exactly those vibes that you're talking about and it's just like it's like purpley dark outside and you drive in and it's very casual <laughs> exactly. yeah the yeah. sunset is a main character in the whole scene <laughs> No, definitely. So do we have an approximate date or time when that's going to be released or are you not sure yet? Um, there is still not, we're not sure on the exact date, but I'm planning to release this before the end of the year. So hopefully in the next few months for sure. That's good because it means that it's going to be shorter days, which means more time to drive around listening to it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Definitely. <laughs> All right, well, that's about us done. But thank you so much um, for joining me today, taking the time to speak to me. Thank you so much for having me. No, no worries. So if people listening to this are interested in, in keeping up to date with you, where can they find you on socials? Um, yes, yeah, so I'm on Insta, Twitter, TikTok, all the socials by the name Shivangi Garg, which uh, if I need to spell it, it's S-H-I-V-A-N-G-I g-a-r-g and then there's an underscore on insta but essentially if you search shivangigog or shaz you should be able to find me um spotify as well shaz is my artist name we have come to the end of the show now of mango masala the south asian show but you can catch us same time next week 3 to 5 p.m make sure you tune in for more discussions more of the latest desi music and just general good vibes But until then, I'll see you next time.